The following is a production of the people of Mars Hill. For more information, visit pomh.org. All right, Matthew chapter 6. That's the last time I'll ever tell Josh what I'm preaching on before Sunday. Talking about fasting this morning. So he said, how can I cut that short? (laughs) Kidding. Matthew chapter 6. Go ahead and turn there in your copy of Scripture. We're actually talking about two things this morning, two disciplines I want to talk about together. Uh, how many of y'all have ever heard me teach a short sermon? No hands anywhere. <laughs> so history will be made this morning. Now, I'm going to really, I'm going to hit the high points of this. And um, really, they go hand in hand. When we're talking about these spiritual disciplines, number one, we always remind ourselves we have to be aware of our depravity, right? Because our depravity is something that even when we are trying to do something that benefits us spiritually, our flesh can turn it into something that is detrimental. And that is we can become prideful. We become arrogant. We can think we're better than other people because we're doing these things. Or we'll think God owes us something because we're doing these things and look how good at this. Surely God's going to bless me, do this for me, um, make, make sure that he answers this prayer because I've been doing all these things. And that's not what spiritual disciplines are about. They're not about getting God on our side. They're not about us being better people. And kind of when Paul talks about beating his body into submission, he's not talking about disciplines in the sense of, you know, I'm going to make myself holy or righteous. What he's saying is I'm going to fight this indwelling sin. And so spiritual disciplines are ways that we fight that indwelling sin. And so they are tools that we have. They are not our identity. They are tools that we have. So I'm not a good person. I'm not spiritual because I memorize scripture or because I read the Bible or because I have a a daily quiet time or because I journal. I'm spiritual. I am a Christian because I am in Christ. And that was completely accomplished by him. And there's nothing I can add to that at all by reading my Bible or memorizing it or keeping a journal. I can't add to what Christ did on the cross. Now, what I can do is I can do many of those things to receive the fullest benefit from what Christ did on the cross. And that's two different ways of thinking about that same thing. And so we always have to be aware of our sin. We have to remember the gospel too before we ever delve into the idea of spiritual disciplines. Remember, the gospel says there's nothing we can do to earn the favor of God. There's nothing we can do to make him love us more because we are already fully loved. The scripture tells us that. And everything that could possibly be ours has already been accomplished and gained through the cross of Christ. And so last week we talked about Bible study and we talked about reading and how it's foundational to all the other disciplines because the only reason we would do any of the rest of them is because the scripture calls us to or we're being led to. So the Bible, the word of God, the spirit of God, using that to grow in our intimacy with God and using that to help us understand God more, understand ourselves more, and to understand what things please God so that we can move in those directions, understanding the promises that we have so we can build our lives on those promises. So today I want to talk about two things, fasting and secrecy. Now, secrecy is one I'm going to start with because secrecy is one that we don't really think of as a discipline, do we? Oh, I can keep a secret. No, you can't. Hardly anybody. Everybody says they can keep a secret. Ever notice that? Everybody can keep a secret, and nobody can keep a secret. You talk to somebody, I got, I got something to tell you, but I'm not supposed to. Oh, man, I can keep a secret. 
And the next thing you know, your neighbor's coming and telling you what you just said. Like just a few minutes later, or it's posted on Facebook, or you get Twittered or something like that, you know, and that whole thing. But because people aren't good at keeping secrets. That's not what we're talking about there exactly. We're talking about secrecy in the sense of why do we practice the disciplines that we do? What are we trying to gain? Who are we trying to impress? And so both secrecy and fasting are talked about in Matthew chapter 6 because Jesus has been talking about some of these elements that the Pharisees have been doing, and he's instructing his followers, this is the way that you should do it. This is what was meant by these things. So let's begin in Matthew chapter 6, verse 1, and let's see how he starts this off. He says this, Beware of practicing your righteousness before other people in order to be seen by them. For then you will have no reward from your Father who is in heaven. So notice there, first of all, that you should be practicing righteousness. He doesn't say, don't practice righteousness. He says, don't practice your righteousness in order to be seen by men. In order to be seen, in order to have your back padded because, whoa, look how spiritual you are. To have people talking about what a great Christian you are. Don't practice righteousness because you want other people to see how righteous you are. That's not the point of it. But it's to know God. It's to be focused. It's to be centered around who God is. Look at how he continues in verse 3. But when you give to the needy. So there's an expectation that you are going to give to the needy. When you give to the needy, do not, know your, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing. So that your giving may be in, what's the next word? Secret. And your father who sees in what? Will reward you. So in other words, he's saying there in our giving that it should be done in secret. What does that mean? Well, it means when we give to the joy box, when we give in a church, we shouldn't expect anything from that. In other words, there should never be a time where you come up and, you know, your daughter's getting married and if this has happened, by the way, I did not know anything about it. I'm using it as an example. I hope that it doesn't step on anybody's toes. But if your daughter is getting married and you come up here, and there just so happens that the week you want, somebody's already scheduled it. And that makes you mad. And you're like, do you know how much money I give to this church? And you know, the flesh comes out a lot of times like that, right? Because we sit there and think, do you know how much I volunteer? Do you know how much I give? Do you know how long I've been here? And you're going to let this other person come in before? We almost think that the things that we do for the church owe us something. Something needs to be given to us. We need to be paid some kind of tribute for the things that we've done. And yet Jesus says, don't even let your left hand know what your right hand is doing. In the sense of when you give, it should be done in secret. And you know what? God who sees what you've done will reward you. Because we are always looking for the reward of God, not the reward of men. We're looking for eternal rewards, not temporal rewards. And so that's what Jesus is helping us to focus in on. Look how he continues. He talks about praying. Famous passage about the Lord's Prayer. Look at verse 5. And when you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites. For they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and in the street corners, that they may be seen by others. Truly I say to you, they have received their reward in full. When you pray, again, it's expected that you're going to pray. When you pray, go into your room, shut the door, and pray to your Father who is in, what's the word? And your Father who sees in will reward you. So there is this idea of a discipline of secrecy. 
It's saying that I'm going to discipline myself to make sure that when I am doing these things, when I am journaling, when I am memorizing scripture, when I am having a quiet time, that I'm not tempted or I don't put myself in a position where I'm doing that to receive any reward from man. I don't want to pray only when I'm in public. Now, how many times, now think about your own self and examine your own heart here, but how many of us would have to say that if we were to look over this past month, this past year, that we've probably prayed more in public than we have in private? Because we're in those situations where we go to our family dinner, right? And they always look at you because you're the spiritual one and goes to church. So you're always saying those prayers and someone's always asking you to pray and you're always telling people, oh, I'm going to be praying for you. How many of you actually do it? You know, and I'm not here to step on your toes because man, I'm like that all the time as well. People say, hey, we, I, I need you to pray for me this week. Okay. I know in my head, I'm like, oh, I'm going to forget this. I know I'm going to forget this. And so I've tried to learn to, when somebody asks me to pray for them, to pray for them right there, right then. But that's really not the point of what I'm going at here. The point here is that we are praying in private, that we are, our prayer life is more than just this public arena where we're doing public prayers. And how many of us had to be honest with ourselves would say, when we pray in public, I'm thinking more about what everyone out there is hearing versus what God's hearing. You know, when I'm in private, that tells me how much I care about what God thinks about me. And how many of us are like, oh, it just really makes us cringe because we struggle to pray in private. We, we struggle when we get alone and we get distracted by our thoughts. Why? Because no one's there listening to us. And so we're sitting there and we're praying and all of a sudden we think about our shopping list and things we got to do later. And, oh, I forgot to, and all, our mind has drifted. And how many of us feel that guilt? We're like, man, I, if I was in front of people, if I was around there, I would keep praying. I would be disciplined because people are listening to me and I got to stay on task here. But yet, when I'm before the Holy One, the one who's done everything to secure my salvation, I can't even pay attention for 30 seconds. And that's why it has to be a discipline. It's something that we have to work at. We work at that righteousness. But listen to me, we don't work at it to be accepted by God or to be favored by God or to earn our salvation. We work at it because we want to get the full benefit of that relationship with God. We want to receive all that is ours, the spiritual blessings of knowing God, of being redeemed, of being a part of the family of God. We want to experience those now as well as in eternity. And so whenever we give to the needy, he says, don't even let your left hand know what your right hand is doing. Um, many of you know C.H. Spurgeon. C.H. Spurgeon was a famous pastor at the London Tabernacle. And he was also a guy who loved chickens. And he raised his own chickens, and they laid eggs. Now, one thing you would know about C.H. Spurgeon, he was a very well-paid pastor. Obviously, a pastor of a very large church in that day and time. And he was a very noted pastor, even in his day and time, so that students would come from all over to learn from him. But every Saturday, he would go and sell his eggs in the market, in the London market. And they would go in there, and all the farmers would come in. And he would sit there, and he would sell his eggs, and he would sell them, at about two or three times the price that other people would sell their eggs for because he knew people would pay that because 
you're buying eggs from C.H. Spurgeon, right? Instead of just, you know, former McDonald over there. And, and so people would come to that, and he got criticized all the time for that. They're like, you get paid tons of money. Why are you doing that? Why would you go in there? You're just taking advantage of people. You're taking advantage of your notoriety. And he never answered them. And do you know, it wasn't until C.H. Spurgeon died that in his memoirs, in his journals, they found that he did that, and he was supporting six widows in the community by selling those eggs every Saturday. But yet in his lifetime, and with all the criticism that he received, he never told a single person what he did. They thought he was using it for himself. They thought he was greedy. And you know what? He let them think it. Why? Because he didn't want to be robbed of the benefit of what he did being just before him and the Lord. Do you you see how that's important? And a lot of times we think, well, I've got to defend myself. No, you don't. No, you don't. You let God defend you. You do what God's called you to do, and you make sure that you're living for the audience of one. That's that discipline of secrecy. So when we're praying, we have to ask ourselves, am I praying to be heard or am I praying for transformation? Because one is about the temporal, one is about the eternal. And then Jesus talks about this idea of fasting. We remember Jesus himself went into the desert to fast, right? Think about that for a moment. We don't know that he fasted until the scriptures were written. Obviously, his disciples knew about that. But when it actually happened, Jesus left. He went away. He got away from everyone else. He went into the depths of the wilderness where he was completely alone, where he fasted for 40 days and 40 nights. I remember this one guy calling, and he uh, was the head of a ministry, and he wanted to meet uh, and talk about maybe the support of, of the ministry. And I was like, sure. I was like, when do you want to meet? He was like, how about next Thursday? I was like, great. I said, you want to meet in the morning? You'll just come to the office. He's like, how about we meet for lunch? Okay, that'd be great. So we get there. We're sitting down to eat for lunch. The waiter looks at me. He says, what do you want? I ordered. Looked at him and said, what do you want? He goes, I, I don't want anything. I was like, you're not going to order anything? He goes, I'm fasting. Why the heck are we at lunch then? I mean, like, you set this up. You pick the day. You pick the time to meet at lunch. I don't understand. So a lot of times, that's what I'm talking about. We do things because we want other people to know what we're struggling through. And the whole idea is that we go to great lengths to hide the fact that we are practicing this righteousness and this godliness. Why? Because we're practicing it to honor God, not to honor anyone else. Not to be patted on the back. Not to be thought of as being spiritual. But we literally and intimately want to know God more. And that's why we're implementing these things into our life. Do you see why the discipline of secrecy is the next step of biblical is the foundation and secrecy is the next most important one? Why? Because if we don't have those two in place, we're not doing things right and we're not doing them for the right reasons. Do you see that? Everything else, we could be fasting, but if we don't have those two, then we're doing them for the wrong reasons or we're doing them in the wrong manner. Praying journaling, whatever it may be, all of those things all hinge on those two aspects, that we're doing it because God's word has led us to do it, and we're doing it in a manner that pleases God, and number two, that we're doing it for him alone and for no one else. And so when we think about what the scripture is calling us to do, we think about how that would be implemented into our life, how we would apply that. You could actually do the things that Jesus talks about there in Matthew chapter 6, which he, he talks about um, giving, he talks about secrecy, and he talks about fasting. He talks about all those together. So literally, you could do all those at once. You could go to the Olive Garden, pick out a family, pay for their meal while you don't eat a meal, 
right? And then just go back and praise the Lord for it, right? So you've given to someone else in need. You have not eaten and see, see how you implement all those together? Okay, I thought that was going to be way funnier than uh, at 3 o'clock this morning. It sounded like a great illustration, right? <laughs> all right. Isn't it interesting, though, that we want to hide things that the Bible tells us to confess, and we often want to confess things that the Bible tells us to hide? We don't want to talk about our sin, do we? We don't want to talk about the depths of our soul, the things that we do, the things that, that we think about, the things that rot away inside of us. And yet the scripture says, confess these things to each other so that you may be healed. No, no, I don't want those to come out. So the scripture says, tell those to people. No, I want to hide those. And it says, hide that stuff. No, I want everybody to know I'm doing that. Do you see how we're the exact opposite of what the scripture calls us to. That's why disciplines are so important. Why? Because our human nature is always going to go against what's best for us. Human nature always goes against what God's word says for us. And fasting is the next thing that Jesus talks about there. Fasting is probably one of the least practiced spiritual disciplines, especially in our culture, because we love to celebrate food, do we not? I mean, we have a whole channel on TV dedicated to it, right? The Food Network. Americans celebrate the foodie trend. They love eating contests. They love vacations that are centered around food. They even have hotels now that are boutique hotels where you can go and it's all about learning how to cook and trying these different foods and eating these different things. We love food. We even have food-related competitions. This past July 4th, Joey Chestnut won his 10th Nathan's Famous Hot Dog Eating Contest, breaking his own world record by, get this, eating 72 hot dogs in 10 minutes. 72 hot dogs. What a great picture, right? So oftentimes, when fasting is practiced, a lot of times we do it for the wrong reasons. You think about how much Americans glorify food. A lot of people who come from other countries, internationals that come here, that come from uh, countries that don't have a, a super Walmart, all right? They don't have a Walmart. And they walk in for the first time and they experience the fact that not only do we have cereal on the shelf, we have a hundred different kinds of cereal to choose from. We don't just have rice. We have minute rice. We have all-day rice, we have brown rice, we have white rice, we have rice in packages and cardboard and bags. I mean, you just walk through the supermarket and you think about the fact that you literally have to make choice after choice after choice. And some people come from countries where there's not choices. It's this or this, and there's five things to choose from to eat that night, and that's it. And they come in here and they think, wow, what is all of this? And then think about the fact that Scripture calls us to this idea of fasting. To, to literally have all of this stuff in front of us. And people would think, you're crazy. Look at all that stuff that you have in front of us. And you're going to choose not to eat anything? That doesn't make sense. Well, it reminds us of the temptation that we have when there is plenty before us. Of Philippians 3.19, where Paul is talking about the fact that our God can actually be our bellies. Even when Americans do fast, it's often for personal and selfish reasons. It has nothing to do with being disciplined or devoted to God. Too often, our focus is all about the food or not eating the food. We're always thinking about food, thinking about where we're going to go next, right? As soon as we're done with this sermon on fasting, you're going to go, all right, now where are we going to go eat? <laughs> where are we going to try that new restaurant in town? When can I go redeem my Chick-fil-A free milkshake? You know, I mean, whatever it is, we're always thinking about that, right? 
What do you think about more throughout the day? The God of heaven or the God of your gut? And that's really a spiritual question that we all need to ponder. Are you counting your blessings as much as you're counting your calories? See, fasting is all about taking our attention away from our worldly desires and sending around God because God truly is the father of lights. Look at how Matthew continues there in verse uh, 16 of chapter 6. And when you fast, do not look gloomy like the hypocrites, for they disfigure their faces, that their fasting may be seen by others. Truly, I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you fast, anoint your head and wash your face, that your fasting may not be seen by others, but by your Father who is in secret. And your Father who sees in secret will reward you. Again, we see that word secret over and over and over again. So in Matthew 6, Jesus is in the middle of his famous Sermon on the Mount, covering a multitude of different topics, right? Fasting is not a popular one. It's not the one that we focus on the most. But it doesn't mean that it wasn't important to Jesus, nor does it mean that it wasn't stressed by him. And here's the thing. How many times is fasting commanded to us in Scripture? See that? One finger for those of you in the back. One time in all of Scripture is fasting commanded. Do you know where it is? It's in Leviticus. It's the Day of Atonement. It's the only time in all of Scripture where there is a command that you shall not eat anything for 24 hours, a whole day, sundown to sunup. I mean, sundown to sundown, next day, 24 straight hours. It's the only time in all of Scripture that it's commanded. Now, that's amazing because you get into the New Testament, you get into the first century, and the Pharisees are fasting several times a week. People are fasting for all these different reasons. Many of the religions fast, but yet in our scriptures over and over again, we look at it, we think about fasting, but yet it's only commanded one time. But it's mentioned many, many, many other times. We know that Jesus modeled it for us. In Matthew chapter 4, verse 2, we know that he fasted when he was in the wilderness. The disciples fasted in the book of Acts in chapter 13 and chapter 14 when they were beginning to select church leaders. The Pharisees were even, even actually congratulated, praised by Jesus and the fact that they were good at fasting. Although he attacks their motives here, there was other places where he actually talks about the fact that they were very good at this fasting and practiced this. So what Jesus is criticizing in this passage is not fasting. He's talking about hypocritical fasting. So here's the balance that I want to say. We always tend to swing from one side to the other. We either are over here going, man, I'm going to fast all the time because that makes God happy and that makes me happy and I'm skinny and I don't have to worry about calories and all this kind of stuff. So I get a benefit and God gets a benefit. Or we swing to the other side and go, man, fasting is legalistic. I'm not going to worry about that. It's only commanded one time in scripture and that's enough. Old Testament. And so we go through that whole thing. But is there this balance that we're called to? Maybe there's a point in fasting that really helps us to understand something, to embrace something that's bigger than ourselves. We know that fasting should never be done because it's, it's, it's something that we gain our salvation through, or we gain God's favor through, like we say over and over again, and we have to reiterate that over and over again. It should never be done out of routine. It should not be expected. It should not be visible. It should never be about self-promotion. Jesus tells his disciples here to anoint their head with oil when they're fasting. Now, here's the thing. If you go back to the day of atonement, then you know that you didn't do that. 
So that's kind of the foundation of everything. When you go back to the Day of Atonement, he says, you don't wash or bathe yourself. You don't fix your hair. You don't put on nice clothes. You don't put on jewelry. You don't do anything like that on the Day of Atonement, okay? Why? Because it's all about humbling yourself before God, realizing that you're a sinner. And so that became the standard of the practice. So when it gets to the first century, even though it started with this idea of humbling ourselves before God, it became this thing of, oh, look, he didn't put his oil on today. He's fasting. And so everybody, it became this, like, this badge that you would wear. It's kind of like one time, I, I was, I'm a very humble person, and one time they gave me a, a button for it that, you know, is like an award for being humble, but they took it away from me because I wore it. Um, <laughs> So it's kind of like that whole same thing, right? So here they are, and they're fasting, but the whole reason they're fasting is so that they can dishovel themselves and so that people can see that they're fasting so that they can go, oh, how spiritual he is, right? And Jesus is saying that's not what it's about. Matter of fact, forget about that right there because that's not what we're talking about. We're talking about weekly fasting. We're talking, hey, fix your hair, put your stuff, do what you would normally do every day so that people don't know that you're fasting, so that what you do is done before the Lord. So the question is this, does the Bible command us to fast? Yeah, there's one place where it actually commands us to fast. But here's a better question. Does the Bible expect that we will fast? Yes. Jesus says when you fast, not if you fast. Matter of fact, we know in the, the Didache, which is a, a first century writing about, it's Christian writing, is about expectation and organization and, and, and modes of how we are living out our Christian life. It actually talks about fasting. So we know that they practiced it in the first century after the church began. And so the emphasis over and over again is about focusing and centering around God. It's the idea that we're not indulging in the very thing that we're trying to starve in ourselves. Do you see that? The very thing that we're trying to starve by fasting is the fact that our flesh is so in control of our lives. And yet, even in fasting, our flesh can manifest itself by wanting to be praised because we're fasting. So the whole point is to understand the balance in Christian life and the balance that we strive for. There are times that we feast and there are times that we fast but here's what I want to point out to you. Even when you're fasting, you should be feasting. The only thing is what you're feasting on changes. So the fasting, you're setting aside food that sustains you day in and day out so that you can embrace something bigger, which is God who sustains you through eternity. And so you are setting aside something that sustains you for a moment for something that sustains you forever. And you are acknowledging and realizing that God is your sustenance, that he is the father of lights, that every good gift comes from him, that every benefit we have is from him. And so we keep denying the fact that our flesh keeps telling us the other things. Our stomach keeps going, no, I'm it. I'm your source of strength. I'm your source of pleasure. And we go, no, you're not. I know you're talking really loud right now, but I'm going to focus on what I know is true and right and good. And that is everything comes from the Lord. Every good thing comes from him. And so even when we're fasting, we're feasting on the truth of who God is. We can fast in the wrong ways. In Isaiah 58, the people are actually criticized because they're fasting and they're expecting God to do something for them. And when he doesn't, they get mad at him. And he comes in and he goes, you know what? I wasn't going to do anything for you because you're doing everything for the wrong reason. You're doing it because you're trying to manipulate me. That's not what fasting is about. So the main purpose of fasting is to have more intimacy with God and to surround yourself more fully or surrender yourself more fully to Him, understanding that you are centered in Him. 
And so whenever we talk about fasting, people want to get past it as quick as possible, right? So churches talk about it on Labor Day when no one's there and they've talked about a bunch of other stuff and they kind of fit it in at the end, which is not planned by the way, right? But here's the thing. Go to Matthew chapter 9. Flip over just a couple of chapters right there. I want you to understand the reason that we fast in this life and I'll be done. We fast because we're not with Christ right now, physically. Look at what it says in Matthew chapter 9, verse 14. Then the disciples of John, this is John the Baptist, came to him saying, Why do we and the Pharisees fast, but your disciples do not fast? And Jesus said to them, Can the wedding guests mourn as long as the bridegroom is with them? The days will come when the bridegroom is taken away from them, and they will fast. So think about that for a moment. Think about what Jesus is saying. While I'm here, it's all about feasting. But when I'm gone, you're going to fast because while I'm gone, there's going to be a temptation to forget about me. There's going to be a temptation to start living for this world. There's a temptation to focus on your belly, to focus on your identity, to focus on the way people see you, whether it's being very spiritual or I'm fasting to lose weight because I want to look good in front of people or I don't like fasting because it's just legalistic, so I'm going to eat whatever I want to and never fast. And so there's these elements where we can go to all these different extremes. And the whole point is Scripture brings us back to all of these disciplines, especially fasting, are something that we should practice because it's practicing righteousness. It should be done before the Lord. And only for us and the Lord, but also realize that we're doing it because we are recognizing something. We're recognizing a truth, and that truth is our life is not finalized here. Our pleasure is never going to be found to its utmost here. This is temporary. We live for the eternal. Lay up your treasures in heaven. Think about what's going to happen when you die. Think about what Christ has secured for us because of the cross. And so that picture there in Matthew 9 reminds us when we talk about this idea of secrecy and we talk about this idea of fasting, here's my last point. Secrecy and fasting are both about centering ourselves on God. Not centering on ourselves and the way people perceive us. Not centering on others and how they're looking at how spiritual we are. It's completely centered on God. Over and over again, no matter what discipline you're practicing, and we're going to continue on through this until we start our our study through the book of Ruth. But as we move through each one of those, I want you to keep asking yourself, have I practiced this? Have I practiced it in the wrong way? Have I not practiced it for the wrong reasons? And how do I implement this into my life and focus on what God wants me to focus on in bringing this into my life? Do, Do you see the importance of this? And I don't want to just skirt past it because it really is an important thing that is expected of us, obviously, because we know the first century Christians practice it. We know Jesus modeled it for us. But it's all about growing in our intimacy with God. So that's fasting and secrecy. So now we're going to have family day and go out there and have some Mexican food, right? But the thing is, it's not about, it's not about, you know, oh, I just need to go home and do that today. No, you don't need to go home and do that today. You need to go home and pray about it. You need to go home and ask yourself some difficult questions. You need to do some self-evaluation. And then ask God, how can I implement these things? How would you want me to implement these things into my life? And then be led by the Spirit of God and by the Word of God into all truth and receive the benefit that is yours that He wants to give to you. Amen? Let's pray. Lord, you are good, and you call us to these things to remind us that this world is not our home, 
that our full benefit is never going to come here. We're never going to be rich enough. We're never going to be healthy enough. We're never going to be good looking enough. Lord, because all of the things, every time we can, we have just a little bit more. But Lord, we look forward to the day when we live in eternity and everything that is ours is there in such mass that it's called infinite. We experience you and your infinite wisdom and your infinite glory and your infinite power and your infinite riches. But Lord, I pray that we don't settle for just the bread and water in this world. Matter of fact, I pray that we would be disciplined to lay those things aside every once in a while and just remind ourselves of what is good and right and true, what really pleases us. Even when we feel those hunger pains, we're reminded that it is that food that sustains us and without it, we would die. But we're reminded even if we eat it, we're still gonna die because this world's not our home. Until you come back, we will all systematically meet an end in this world because it's temporary. And you keep reminding us, live for the things that are eternal. The only way that we can be reminded of those things day in and day out is to open your word and to embrace it and to let it pour over our souls and convict our hearts. So thank you for your word. Thank you for our challenge. And I pray today as we celebrate the family of God, as we celebrate this family day, Lord, that you would be honored and blessed to see your children, to see the waters of baptism stirred. And I pray that more and more of us would be committed, not only to these disciplines, but also to the discipline of evangelizing, of sharing our faith with other people. Lord, that we would be committed to furthering your kingdom. God, I pray that you would call us to a deeper understanding and relationship with you. Because it's all about you and your glory and you receiving what is deserved to you. We ask all of this in the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen.